This is The Beat, the innovation podcast for the nation's capital, talking the latest tech, business, and startup news. And beer. With the DCNO team. I'm Sam. And I'm Ryan. Let's get started. Welcome back to The Beat Podcast. We are here again for another great week. Just before we begin, a reminder to sign up for our daily newsletter, also called The Beat. Go to dcno.com. You can sign up right on our landing page. It is very easy, and you get really useful information in your inbox every afternoon. Or, or, or I hope evening. it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Sam and I read it. It was Woo. funny, so. What a time. Sign up. Sam, what are we talking about this week? Yeah, this week on The Beat, we're talking about the new accelerator that's moving to Crystal City, what you missed at South by Southwest from the D.C. tech people there, and all about the company formerly known as Apex Labs with CEO and founder Brian Ballard. The, the f- company... The artist formerly known as. The artist as. formerly known as. The company formerly known as. You get uh, let's, first, let's have a beer. <laughs> uh, this week, we are drinking the Ballast Point Sculpin IPA. Uh, pretty common. You can yeah. find this all over the place. It's a San Diego brewery, but they are actually in the process of opening up a Virginia production facility. This Ooh. was actually uh, negotiated um, at the highest levels of Virginia government by uh, Terry McAuliffe <laughs> okay. himself. He went, he went out to San Diego. He's been trying to bring more craft beer producers uh, into the state. So he yeah he convinced uh, Ballast Point to open up. Sculpin, I, it's a, like a, one of my favorite beers. Uh, yeah. they, they make a grapefruit Sculpin, which I think is even better because yeah. the, the fruit balances out the, uh, the hops. But uh, it's pretty solid. Yeah. All right, let's get right into it. A couple of making moves this week. This I love this story. This this is a company called Starship Technologies, and we've written about them before. You've pro- you may have seen some stuff on our site, but basically this company makes these tiny little delivery robots that are being used right now in DC by Postmates to deliver food to customers. And they're little. They're like six wheel little things. And they they can operate autonomously. Right now, they're they're kind of in this pilot program, so they're they have like a, a handler that yeah. kind of goes around with them. But they roll around the sidewalks, and they can sense what's around them and deliver food. I love technology. So we sent uh, we sent our intern Aaron over. They uh, so Starship opened up uh, an office in a new co working space here, and they had their their opening and demo of these little robots. So she actually took some awesome video that's up on our Facebook page, um, which you can find. But I, it's funny because she kind of started off her Q and A with the Starship DC head of operations asking about, like, everyone's biggest question, which is, isn't someone going to fuck with these things when they're rolling around on the sidewalk? (laughs) And I loved his response, which was, like, basically, yeah, probably. Because, like, anything that's in public space, you know, that's people are probably going to try to mess with it. Um, But I guess the robots have a bunch of anti-theft measures. They have cameras so they can actually take pictures of and identify someone that was was messing with it and they have all these sensors that would would tell an operator if it got knocked over or you know taken yep. or something um and the tops lock people had oh a lot my of gosh. questions about that they're like what what is going to stop someone from just opening up the lid on the street and taking the food out does it just automatically unlock so when it gets there when it gets there you you unlock it uh by text message and it's Whoa. connected to the phone that that ordered the food so Cool story. Uh, we have a Q&A with, with the uh, D.C. head of operations on the site. We have the video of these things rolling around on the sidewalks uh, on our Facebook page. Yep. Definitely worth your time. 
Uh, what else we got going? Uh, South by Southwest. Oh yeah, that, that it's thing. casual. It's like a small little still care about that thing. It's like in Texas somewhere. Yeah, somewhere. Not really sure. <laughs> um, anyway, there was a, a pretty big uh, DC presence down there. If yeah. you listened to the podcast a couple weeks ago, you knew that Brian Kenner, deputy mayor, uh, the mayor herself was down there. Mm-hmm. They're really trying to sell uh, DC as this capital of inclusive innovation, convince startups to relocate here or stay here or some mixture of that. Yeah. But there were a couple there I mean there were a lot of DC people that went down and there were a couple pretty relevant local announcements that happened, ironically enough, not here. Yeah, of course not. Yeah, go to why why would you announce them here? What you would go to Texas. Right. You would announce them the same week that literally every other tech company is announcing something, some new products, new initiative. Um, and it definitely won't get lost in the ether. Right, and I would think that, you know, of one of the three, maybe one is worth, like, national attention. All right, so you, so like you, maybe. you, picked, you picked three relevant ones out yeah. of that ether, so what did you find? Yeah, yeah, so I guess the first big one. So Steve Case, if you didn't know, is on a Rise of the Rest tour. I don't know if you've heard of Rise of the Rest, you know, Third Wave, all that fun stuff. But he is now bringing a whole summit of some sort here, what is it, the end of March? Uh, yeah, end of, end of this month. Yeah. Which is kind of a quick turnaround for us. I'm assuming they've been working on this oh, in, the, I, oh, of in course. the background. Um, Steve Case's Rise of the Rest tour is a bus tour that he goes on <laughs> annually trying to highlight entrepreneurship in lesser-known uh cities around the country um, that, are, yep. that wouldn't be associated with, with tech and entrepreneurship. Uh, his last one was out in the, you know, the Rockies, the, the, the West out there. He hit Utah and Nebraska yep. um, and Colorado and Arizona. But now he's trying to bring all these people to D.C. and, and have them all meet in one place and you know, share their stories. Yep. And so kind of a cool thing. We'll keep an eye on that one. Beacon. The, uh, what is it? It's a, a, how would you describe Beacon? Yeah, so the way I've been describing it, it's kind of an umbrella organization for, you know, women-led or owned businesses in D.C. So they kind of serve as this organization that wants to help women who already have businesses in D.C. grow them further. They also want to help women who might want to start a business, and they are partnering or working with the mayor's office to kind of bring grant opportunities. When they started at the end of November, early December, they announced like a few kind of roundtable listening events mostly. So bringing women together and kind of talking about how Beacon can help without them doing anything that's redundant and already exists here. Um, But they just announced at South By that they, one, revamped their website. It's like their official launch. And with it, they have this whole running directory of women-led businesses. And people in the community have just been filling it out for throughout the past few days, too. So it's a fun little update on an initiative that kickstarted a few months ago. Yeah, so. definitely. Um, and then probably the most notable one that came out of all the announcements yep. at South by Southwest and obviously fits fits right in with this theme of inclusive innovation uh, was the official announcement of the opening date of the Inclusive Innovation Incubator, a.k.a. IN3, which is, uh, we discussed this also with Deputy Mayor Kenner. Um, It's a inclusive innovation incubator off of the campus of, of Howard University up on Georgia Ave. It's been in the works for some time. It got an initial grant from the city 
uh, along with some other funding to to get going. Yeah. Um, and now it is it's finally going to open. Yeah, yeah, and it's being run and operated by Luma Lab, but it is finally opening after what. It's like two years now and a year since they broke ground construction, but they're finally opening on 420. April Um, 20th. April 20th, 420, however you want to write the date. Um, (laughs) But uh, they're finally like opening it up. Um, It is going to be an incubator. It will have some co-working spaces too, so you don't really have to be a part of the incubator if you just want to work there and be a part of that community. And they'll be kicking it off with a few week of welcome events that are starting on April 17th and kind of running throughout that week. Um, Just a variety of community events celebrating what has been a long, 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 long time coming. There we go. Well, <laughs> April 20th, you heard it here. Keep an eye out for some more news around yep. that and uh, some more info on, on those uh, events that week. Getting into the big one this week, uh, we got a new accelerator coming to town, which is interesting. It is a joint venture between... A couple very notable uh, local names. One is Sinewave Ventures. It's a uh, venture fund from former NEA VC Yaneb Suisa. Bornado is on there, giving out the office space. And then Arlington County is giving some uh, incentives to to put this thing, of course, in Crystal City. Yeah. My favorite place. Oh, of course. Um, so hot. Everyone knows um, that all the good things happen in Crystal City. Right. And, of course, the I think my favorite part of this is that it's going to be the same exact building as 1776. Yep. It's just, like, Accelerator City. But I should rename it. That would actually be better than Crystal City. Maybe. Yeah. If that's what they're going for, <laughs> they can. But, basically, it's, like... The accelerator is just, it's working with not just entrepreneurs, which I feel like a lot of accelerators just kind of focus on an entrepreneur and nurturing their idea and helping them grow it further. But they're also working with VC firms and uh, and the county. And the idea is that Signway Ventures um, will sign up five member venture capital funds. Um, So whether that be like Google Ventures, the NEA, um, et cetera. And um, from that, The companies that the funds invest in will have the opportunity to be a part of the accelerator. So it's exclusive only to member VC funds, and it's a way of kind of bringing, you know, more more capital to Arlington County specifically. See, this is interesting because, um, you know, obviously it's easier to draw a comparison to 1776 because it's right next door. Yeah. 1776 was founded in D.C., Mostly because of their mission of this idea of regulatory hacking. So yep. startups that are looking to tackle mostly government-facing or at least public sector-facing issues. They have never, and they're, they're open about this, they have never tried or wanted to be a booster of the local tech economy. Specifically, that's not that's not their core mission. Their core mission is growing this idea of regulatory hacking, expanding their platform across the, the country and world. So I think this is actually really intriguing because this is clearly focused on drawing capital to the region, which has been an issue for definitely later stage companies and also you know very early stage, very, yeah. very early and very, very late stage companies. And it has this partnership with you know the strong local real estate brand Vornado the actual county, you know, authorities. And this is this is meant to be a 
an initiative that fosters a local ecosystem of growth. So I think this is actually a really great idea. Um, obviously, all of the people involved have their own um, incentives for, for being a part of it, but I think it's something that you know, could, be, could be potentially huge for, oh, yeah. for the area. For sure. Our guest on the podcast today is Brian Ballard. He is the CEO and founder of Upskill, formerly known as uh, Apex Labs. It is a wearable technology uh, company based around the D.C. area. Um, we're excited to, to jump into the conversation here. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So let's start off. Give us the 30-second the elevator pitch on, on Upskill um, and how your technology is applied uh, you know, in the workforce. Definitely. So you know, our technology is helping solve the skills gap problem by putting software on smart glasses for augmented reality. And it's aimed at, at uh, solving business problems around productivity, first-time quality, and we do that by bringing information that's relevant to the job the workforce is doing right into their field of view. And the evidence is amazing with the kind of return on investment, the immediate increase in productivity. And one of the things I think is most exciting about what we do, the workforce itself loves the ability to engage with information in a real-time way and uh, see an investment back in their competitiveness. So the idea is, is essentially, for example, a worker on an assembly line has Google Glass or some sort of equivalent you know, wearable glass, can get you know, real-time updates on you know, an assembly line process or... Um, you know, issues or, or updates that are coming into them without needing to use their hands on a computer or a tablet, right? Yeah, but it's it's all about um, being able to see what's next, uh, be able to interface with maybe like some of the production line data that's coming to you, and this is something like you know for all, for those of us who haven't worked in assembly line, like there's a lot of customization of things coming down. If a car's coming down the line. And the next seats that go in it are the seats with the red stitching versus the black stitching. Like, how do you know that? You have to look up on a manifest. Well, that's efficiency loss. It's an opportunity for confusion. And just if you always knew what was coming next, you'd never make a mistake. And that's, I think, one of the immediate impacts of this technology. And I think it's pretty interesting because you know, Google Glass kind of was this big announcement from Google and then ended up being, a, a, at least on the consumer side, pretty much a flop that it wasn't really adopted because it kind of looks silly when people were wearing them around. But this this really seems like a practical application of this wearable tech where, I mean, you probably have to wear safety glasses in the first place anyway, so you already have glasses on. Smart safety glasses, right? Yeah, so now it's smart safety glasses. You know, do you really see this as a a growing uh, market, and is it ever going to come back into the consumer field, or is it, you know, do you think it's pretty much an enterprise play from here on out? Well, first of all, I think the market is enormous. Like, you know, tens of millions of people can be affected right now by the technology that exists today. Like Google Glass can solve that problem for them. I think the you know, anytime you create a solution to a problem, you have to make sure that the problem um, and the solution kind of match from the price, the, the complexity, and the the maturity of the solution. So in the consumer space, you know. Wearable technology is a augmentation to your job. It also has to be something that's that works with your style and your fashion. Um, think about the tens of thousands of options there are in watches out there today. Each speaks something to us from a called a luxury perspective. To take the term you said, this is unbelievably practical in a business sense. Um, and if you have smart safety glasses, like you know, as long as they fit well and they. Pr- 
function perfectly, like that's the bare minimum, and the problems that they're solving are you know, measured in the tens of millions of dollars of impact. So, you know, from a consumer standpoint, maybe two hundred dollars is worth having a GoPro or a camera. Is ten thousand dollars right? No, but you know, a thousand dollars to solve a million dollar problem for business—that's a no-brainer. Is um, have you done any studies or, or uh, impact reports on? the increase in productivity when people are doing this? Yes, um, and it's, you know, it's ranging from, um, from pure productivity, called 15% to 300% impact. On the ones that were lower on the productivity side, maybe it was quality, first time quality that people were really going for as the, as the um, impact statement. And like a lot of our customers are aerospace heavy industry. Like a problem is hundreds of thousands of dollars an incident. So it pays for itself the first problem um, it solves. You know, I was looking at some of the, the, the clients you've worked with, Boeing, GE, um, Shell, Johnson Johnson. These are huge companies. So They're amazing companies too. When you get in at that, you know, that there's that trickle down effect or trickle up effect, I guess, of, you know, if you eliminate just even a couple minutes of, of productivity loss, um, but you do it across thousands and thousands of workers, that's going to yeah. translate into a huge savings for the right. company. And think about the value of their assets, too. I mean, GE is famous for talking about the you know solid 1% problem to the business and it has a 10% impact on um, the, the, the revenue or your, your margin. So how did you get started in this, and then you know, how do you work your way up to uh, tackling a client like these yeah. you know enormous Fortune 100 companies. So believe it or not, it was not in the consumer space first. Even though um, we we do think it will will come back around to that one day. Uh, maybe not for us, but for somebody. Uh, we started in the military. Uh, we were building software that was powering uh, smart glasses for soldiers. Uh, we were doing work with combat medics, uh, people doing uh, perimeter security, and for them it was about like you know. I need to understand what's happening around me. I need to be able to see that without necessarily having to be there. I need early warning, and then I need real-time access to information. It's analogous to the exact problem we're solving today. It's just people have a different uniform on, right? As opposed to camo, it's you know, it's uh, you know, um, you know, Carhartt. Yeah, Carhartt. Yeah, it's like um, or Oshkosh. But uh, so we started in that space. We developed a really great understanding of how you present information to somebody that increases their cognitive ability, not distracts and confuses. And um, this was back in 2010. Um, and uh, you know, it was kind of near and dear to our heart. And a lot of our employees had a background in either actually the computer game industry or the defense industry. So it kind of was a great fusion of those two kind of really interesting areas. But we saw a much larger um, opportunity in the enterprise. And when we saw the price of glasses starting to approach something that made sense in that market as the next adopter, we really took a hard look and said, all right, do we stick with our roots, comfortable business, you know, we can kind of keep chipping away at it, or do we go after, like, the real transformative opportunity? And uh, it was kind of everyone was like, you know what, we, we all know the answer. Like, we just need to say it out loud and go do it. So when you go to one of these large companies, you guys developed this cross-platform software that can work on any number of, of wearable glasses, not just mm -hmm. Google Glass or, right. or something like that. Do you have to go in and not just sell your software, but you also have to convince them to buy the actual wearables themselves? Right. Um, so the average customer, and, and to your point you brought up earlier in the conversation, like th there has been some confusion in the market. Like, is, is this just a consumer fad, or you know, it really would make sense in the enterprise? Why, why isn't it more broadly adopted? We sell the solution. So when you engage with us, our promise is we are going to get you that return on investment that really um, you know, moves the needle for a company of, of a Fortune 100 scale. 
glasses are a huge part of that. Uh, we have familiarity and our software walk, works across um, just about every um, production grade glasses on the market right now. So we know from doing this a lot of times, like which glass is probably right for the job you're doing, um, and we showcase that in action. Like you, you, when you engage with us, you can put glasses on, see the software running in a use case that's really close to what you're doing. I think that helps um, get people across the uh, maybe the the belief gap of is this really real time? And once you, or not real time, but ready in prime time. When you put it on, you see it, you experience it for the first time, seeing it's believing. Um, I think for most people that's that aha light bulb moment where you go, okay, this is absolutely real. Plus, I, you know, our customers are showcasing what they're doing publicly now, so you know, there's referenceability in the market. And then it's a matter of, okay, help me as, a, as the customer understand what does that adoption process feel like? Do I need to pilot on some portion of my workforce? What about people who have prescription glasses? What about people who... Um, uh, you know, maybe are up and walking around all the time. Like, how does that feel for them? We guide people through that process. You know, think of it as the first time you you try this. You know, we provide that training wheels function for you. We make sure that you're going to be successful. Once you're comfortable with it, though, you can take that technology and really run uh, with just a little bit of support from us. So, you know, when you get to a company like GE, I'm assuming you're going in at more of a corporate executive level at, at first, but. You know, do you go in and, and do demos with the people actually on the line? Yeah. And, and how does that work out? Yeah, it's actually one of my favorite parts. I, I get out to about 10-15% uh, of our customer sites at this point um, any given month. And when you put it on the people actually doing the work, that's when the magic happens. First of all, like, our customers build some of the most interesting things on Earth. Like when you go to a Boeing factory and see them building fighter planes, helicopters, or, or airliners, that's... That's pretty cool. Johnson and Johnson, um, I, you know, we grew up thinking about it as like, you know, no tears, but they built so many amazing things. So you you put smart glasses on somebody who's on that manufacturing line, and you just see their eyes light up. They're like, oh my god! Like they're calling their their coworkers over. You got to try this. This is going to change everything we do. This is going to be transformative, and they're pressuring their boss. Um, but we don't actually normally um, go in through the through the CEO or CXO level very often. Usually, it's somebody who runs a plant. It's it's solving a problem, and those people understand the problems that they have. Like I need to to get information to my people more effectively. What's out there, and they find something in in the internet that points them to us, or they meet us at a trade show, and they want us to come out to the factory, see and experience how they build something, or how they repair or train their people, or repair things or train their people, and then. Um, you know, they're the ones that then become the evangelists in their company. They're the ones that, that it's having the most impact for. But once you prove that success, it very quickly goes up the chain to say, hey, you've got to, hey, boss, you got to, you know, show your peers in the other sites how this um, can really make a difference. And is most of your stuff uh, custom developed for a specific company, or do you have uh, platforms that are industry agnostic and can work in any type of environment? So our core products, uh, Skylight, is a um, enterprise application platform. So it could handle every use case for every customer we have, but there's a configuration that happens for each customer. So, you know, uh, Boeing and an Airbus both build passenger aircraft, but the way they build them, the systems they integrate with that drive that production are probably a little bit different. We have to have the flexibility to allow any customer that, that configuration. Um, but what you get with a platform is, you know, it's the fastest possible way to production. Like you're, if you just engaged with us, we've already built all the features that you're going to need. 
So what order do you need to see them in? Do, are there user roles that might restrict access to, to certain types of data or certain systems? That's really the, the edge case, but the core capabilities, they've already been built, they've already been, quote, battle tested, they, you know, we already know they're secure, so that uh, the ability to adopt becomes super efficient with a platform. Um, you, you mentioned this unique mix of skills among your own employees um, that range from video games to defense background. And what's that been like growing a company in the D.C. area where it's probably more likely that you'll find a mix of people with those yeah. backgrounds than, than any other market? Um, you know, how has that been a, a useful thing for you? Well, there's always, I think, the fight between, like, is it uh, blue jeans or khakis at work sort of thing. for the So we divide the Nerf gun fight teams up that way. Um, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, D.C. has been uh, kind of an asset for us from a talent perspective. On one side, you have like kind of this rich history of, of uh, innovation from the gaming industry that then has fueled, I think, a lot of the really interesting advancements in defense. Um, you know, we aren't you know the the people who adopted big data first um, from a cloud perspective, but the algorithm side of it exists here. So. When we were looking at, at the talent capability, we have this really professional staff that is perfect for engaging with a Fortune 100 company that like they want innovation, but they don't want to be the ones that you're experimenting on them with. They want it to be rock solid. Um, so that, that talent pool um, is plentiful here. Um, security is really important to our customers. Mm-hmm. DC's got some of the best security talent on earth. Um, I was gonna ask about that actually. How, you know, What kind of cyber security uh, safeguards do you build into your software? Uh, you know, I'm assuming that a company like GE or Boeing has some pretty sensitive trade secrets and, yep. and even possibly national security yep. um, information. So what do you build in there on that front? Yeah, so security is a fundamental um, requirement for every one of our customers. So you know, data's got to be secure in motion. Data's got to be secure in the devices at rest. We need to make sure that we're um, you know, properly authenticating to these production-grade systems that are in the critical path of our customers' uh, production capabilities. So the software from the ground up was built with that in mind, and that's something that when we worked in the military, that was you know, we had to pass, you know, intelligence-grade um, security requirements, and that's something we've carried through into the into the enterprise. Um, we've, we've seen this trend of companies that maybe started in the D.C. area, but as they've grown and required more funding, they've looked to either move outside or at least go outside for funding. Um, what do you see on your trajectory, and are you planning to stick around the area, or, or have you looked at other markets for either expansion or to move? We are definitely doubling down in the D.C. area. We've got, um, you know, we're expecting a double head count here um, over the next year. Uh, we're also trying to... Uh, How big are you right now? How many uh, in the D.C. area, we've got uh, 30 people here okay. um, right now. But um, we also have people, uh, salespeople all around the country. We've got um, a small presence in Silicon Valley. Um, our customers are all over the country, though. Um, so making sure that we're close to them or at least responsive to them in their time zones or location uh, is definitely um, something that, that's important to us. From a, um, you know international perspective, though, we work a lot with our partners like um, Accenture, Deloitte, and others. Um, so we're able to keep growing the team here uh, but be able to support customers all around the globe. So you were... Formerly known as Apex Labs, uh, recently rebranded to Upskill. What was behind that yeah. change? So, you know, 
it's a name that's been uh, long in the, or at least the change has been long in the making. Um, when we first raised our Series A, uh, you know, we were at that kind of fragile point of a brand where we had brand traction, but not necessarily enough that if we changed names, people would understand um, that that happened. So we tabled it for about two years. And um, you know, we, we have so much evidence about the impact of being able to reskill or upskill a workforce. Um, you know, we, I guess about seven months ago, we made the decision, all right, we're rebranding. Um, we're going we're gonna to put what we do front and center in our name. And that's, you know, we played around with a couple ideas, but upskill is the one that we chose. And then, uh, then it became a question of what do we need to go through to make that change? Like, how do we make sure we keep our brand traction? Like, the naming choice took, um, you know, a couple days to nail down when we finally said, all right, we're, we're doing it by Friday or Thursday or whatever it was. Best name wins. Um, but then what goes into the rest of it? Uh, that was where the real work Legally and, and, you know, well, it's legally, SEO and... Oh, my goodness. And this is something, I'm not a marketer. Um, the, the amount of work that goes into do that right, the coordination with our customers, because, like, they're our most um, precious asset. So making sure, like, hey... Does this resonate for you? Like, it resonates for us. Does it resonate for you guys? Um, uh, help red team that concept a little bit. Like, are there any negatives? We're not like the old Chevy Nova no-go um, <laughs> story to make sure we didn't do something like that. Um, but, I mean, we couldn't be happier with how the brand turned out. I mean, like, we, we pulled the trigger, rebranded the company, and, like, every conversation right now is about the skills gap, the... You know, how do we keep the workforces competitive, like the, the emphasis of manufacturing in the U.S.? And it's one of those things where, you know, we know what the problem is. It's, you know, people aren't given the information and abilities and skills they need to stay competitive through a very fast-changing um, environment. Like, technology is really speeding things up. The only way to do it is to reskill yourself or upskill yourself. Um, so I think we, we kind of nailed it on that one. Yeah, no, I wanted to touch on that, too, because I think there's a lot of anxiety among uh, people who work in manufacturing these days around uh, being able to keep up with, with the times and the, and the skills, but also the fear of automation taking all of those jobs. So how do you see your company playing into um, you know that whole changing world of, of rapidly accelerating technology and manufacturing uh, versus that human component and the jobs aspect. Yeah, so um, I'll start with kind of an analogy that, that we see. Um, you know, we're in the software industry, right? Um, if you look about at how AI is changing software, uh, that's the software industry's version of automation. Yet Silicon Valley is not freaking out about their jobs, right? And why is that? Uh, so I think fundamentally you look at if you have familiarity with something, you're not as you know, you're not as fearful of it. We have an industry that's largely been ignored by technology, um, and I think the biggest opportunity we have is showcasing what technology can do for you and not to replace you. So the role that we play in that is our technology is actually for the people doing the work. It's not necessarily for like this big back-end business process. It's front and center in that experience. And when you show people what the technology can do, I think it can inspire you to look at the opportunities rather than the fears and engage in it better. And we see other companies um, who've gone through transformation um, in the market, like take, uh, take ABB. They're one of the world's largest, if not the world's largest manufacturer of industrial robots. You know, if there's a company that, that should be really 
afraid of robots replacing you. It's a company that builds the robots to replace the, the manufacturing force. And yet that company's workforce has grown significantly over the last 20 years. They have worked very hard to reskill and upskill their workforce, teaching them new trade jobs. And what the robots do at ABB is the dull, dirty, and dangerous jobs. And I think that that's fundamentally what, um, how this market's going to play out. Automation will happen in certain industries. But if it can keep people safe as opposed to putting them in danger, that's the first place robots should go. And then automation um, through uh, data lookup and getting access to information, that's a role we provide to the workforce. But once you solve that gap right now, which I would say arguably is the biggest bottleneck to uh, skill and competitiveness in the human workforce, you solve that problem. We have so much more untapped potential that once you expose that, automation isn't an economical answer anymore because we've still like we're so flexible dynamic productive and when you see one bottleneck we can jump to it and solve it you don't have robotic flexibility that way have you guys worked with any of the the government-backed uh retraining programs to to retrain uh, manufacturing workers no um not in the manufacturing space um it's something we were looking at like you know think about the the tech hire program which was trying to teach people um computer skill jobs um, we're looking to see was that successful, like is there a similar model in the manufacturing space. Where we're seeing the opportunity is not so much how do you take um, people who have been displaced, but can we get into some of these large um, employers in the U.S. and prevent those jobs from ever disappearing in the first place. I think that's probably the area where the economics make the most sense, where we're preventing something from happening in the first place making an impact, and then you can use that as a template to justify government-backed programs. Got it. I do fundamentally believe that governments don't um, employ people, it's the companies that do, and if the companies can show the best way to do it, government can help support that. Sure. Um, we're running a little short on time, but so you had mentioned, um, you know, coming year you're looking at, at a double uh, headcount here in the D.C. area office. Yeah. What else are we looking for from, uh, from Upskill? Uh, I think uh, one of the things that's really exciting across the whole industry is you're going to see broad-scale adoption of the technology. Like this is um, this is finally getting into mainstream production. More and more companies are adopting it. Um, you know, there's a lot more hardware coming out. We just came off of kind of CES and MWC, which are the two big hardware shows of the year. Uh, a lot of companies are making announcements. Um, and I think you're going to see a snowball effect. How is it? How hard is it to keep up with? you know, emerging technology in the, you know, the wearable glass space? So part of our strategy is we try and stay in front of it. We work really closely with the different hardware vendors, so we're not surprised. Um, if we were in reaction mode, it would be uh, absolutely crazy. And, and how tough is that to, you know, have access to their platforms and be able to develop software that, that works across all of those? It's not hard. I mean, one of the things that, that's benefited us is because we've been um, kind of a cornerstone company in this market for a while, we've built these relationships over the last six years. Um, we've got long-term, um, you know, whether it's contracts, relationships, you know, shared product roadmaps. Um, so it's not like we're starting from the ground up. And who are you looking at in terms of competition right now? Who? Uh, you know, there's actually a handful of interesting uh, competitors popping up in space. A lot of companies are solving different um, problems, so you know we keep an eye on the market. Um, we've got uh, you know, some competition in Europe. We like, we do like competition. Like, kind of gets you fired up, gives you a, gives you a reason to to fight even a little bit harder, push yourself a little harder. Um, but uh, the market is so huge. 
that I think most of our focus is on how do we deliver the best possible product in the market and the competition will take care of itself. Well, Upskill, we're definitely going to keep an eye on uh, CEO and founder Brian Ballard. Thanks so much for coming on yeah. the podcast today. Happy to be here. Thank you very much. Before we go today, I uh, just wanted to make sure that you are all getting on dcno.com and voting for our Tech Madness bracket. We are now into the Elite Eight. My bracket is pretty much busted at this point. Okay, great. <laughs> um, but there's still some great companies in there, and they need your votes to uh, get into the final matchup. So uh, get on there, dcno.com. We have the, the bracket um, button right on the homepage. You can find that. You can go vote. Um, please no cheating. We'll know. We'll know. Um, we're watching you. Um, but... Other than that, just a reminder before we go, sign up for our daily newsletter, thebeatdcno.com. Sign up on our homepage. But otherwise, we will catch you next week. And thanks for listening.